0: around the Enterprise A or the Enterprise Refit for like 10 minutes, cause I love that. Oh yeah, no, mm-hmm. we
1: we will we'll actually extend the Enterprise Refit flyby by the amount of time we save uh, reverting the wormhole sequence to normal speed. Excellent. <laughs> Another three minutes. And then we'll slow it down by 0.85. By 0.85 or 2.85, just make it a little slower. With like... <laughs> just uh, keep, just circle the pylons like you're in awe of them. What do we do now? Keep Star circling. Star Trek.
2: The keep, extra motionless picture. Keep circling. Keep circling.
1: Oh. <laughs> A red alert. My audio's in good shape today.
0: Recording in progress.
1: Well, yours always is. Jay, do that again. I said yours always is. Oh,
2: thanks. Renzo?
0: Testing, one, <laughs> two, yeah, three. You're good.
2: I like these sound checks,
1: like one minute.
2: All right, you're good. Shut up.
0: (laughs) See, what more do you really need?
1: Yeah, Yeah,
2: that's a good point.
1: All I need y'all to do is hit the red like a red shirt. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Beyond Track Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dag. In the room with me today, I've got Big J and Renzo. I am not even pointing to Renzo, I'm pointing to the Cerritos, getting the shit kicked out of it, because it is time for Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 8, only two left in the season, Crisis Point 2, Paradoxus. And uh, before Renzo gives us his stunning uh, recap, I just want to give everybody the big spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (coughs)
0: Spoiler alert.
2: Spoiler alert. You can't miss so, the spoiler alert.
0: I mean, we don't want to spoil people. It would make them mad. So the episode begins yeah. abruptly with a tense battle between Cerritos and a Romulan warbird. Looks like a Valdor. Phaser is firing as the captain demands evasive maneuvers. The Cerritos is getting shelled, and they are eventually boarded. And when Ransom, Shacks and Keshan go to confront them, uh, the Romulans beam out of engineering, just having someone a bright purple glowing object that is referred to simply as the device. On the warbird, we see the Robin ones onto to the ship to inform their trio of commanders uh, of their success. And the three women then order the destruction of the Federation ship. Before the captain can tell her crew to abandon ship, the USS Wayfarer drops out of warp to block the Disruptor Fire, and we are introduced to Captain Boymore, that is, in this case, Captain Bucephalus Dagger, uh, Commander Doodle, or Mariner, orders that the crew target the Romulan Disruptors, and while one of the Commanders wants to stay and fight, the other reminds them that they've already won by stealing the device. Boymore lets them run, not knowing that they have what they have already stolen. But Captain Freeman quickly informs them of the nature of the device and how much of a danger one is to the Federation. Uh, the chronogami, or time-bending device, is one that can change points in history. Before Freeman can finish, Boymore is called into Ransom's office, and freezes the program while Mariner explains her issues with his plot. Annoyed that he is naming his holodeck movie Crisis Point 2 and piggybacking off of her original, she tells Boimler that it had better live up to her expectations, though Boimler just skips to the opening credits and tells her that she'll eat her words as he leaves to go speak with Ransom. We learn from the opening credits that Rutherford will be Silvo Toussaint, Chief Engineer, as he experiments with a Cajun accent, and Tendi will be Lieutenant Commander Mina Vesper, boimo returns from his meeting clearly upset and lies and says that the meeting was just about reassigning duty shifts the team then goes to the federation lab where the Kronogami was created and a blonde scientist in a setting very reminiscent of regular one uh approaches and makes advances upon boimo himself apparently they had a weekend on ryzen but he denies her advances annoyedly asking her to simply explain the device and what it can do the device as recapped uh, can travel through time to the past or to the future, and destroy any point in time, and effectively wipe the Federation from existence. This seems to bother Boimler far more than the rest of the crew, and he remarks on how easily life could be snuffed out. Mariner makes fun of his emotions, not knowing why he's acting so strangely. The scientist then gives Boimler a Chronogami watch, which can apparently track the Chronogami and leads them right to the Romulans, which Mariner openly dislikes. They discover that the Romulans are headed to Tashior 9, which would apparently give them the opportunity to find a mineral to run the device and destroy the federation boimor then completely avoids the romantic subplot leaving the scientists without anything to do mariner thinks this is weird but just keeps poking at boimor as he absentmindedly sets a course for that planet. as they land on the planet in hooded quote uh as they went on the planet in hooded cloaks to disguise themselves boimor seems uninterested while mariner is excited for the chase that will eventually follow boimor listens to a side character who asks him if he needs answers in life Mariner is angry and tries to get him back on the main mission. While the other characters find the Romulans and chase them on grass cycles, mouth tells Mariner that he needs to find Kitiha, the legendary moon that will answer all his questions about life. After all, this is an adaptive program. Boymore then hands over command of the mission to Tendi's character, and Mariner is visibly irritated while Boimor listens to the Alien of the Week. Knick-knack. Elsewhere during the chase, Tendi and Cerritos crew disable the Romulan ship, but not before they can activate the Kronogami and leave their timeline. Tendi leads the charge into the origami threshold for Starfleet and thus the paths diverge. They land in 2341 during the Sulian algae crisis, and Freeman explains how an ambassador named Koro learned to communicate with an algaeic slime mold. Tendi assumes that the Romulans are out to kill Koro and orders a team to find them, right as Rutherford returns to the story with food. Clearly annoyed that he is not taking the mission seriously, she orders the team to spread out, while Rutherford finishes his sandwich. Mariner continues to convince Boymore to turn around and just follow the storyline, but he won't do it. And eventually, the Owen reveals his back tattoo of the map to Kittyhawk. Mariner blows up at this point, saying he cannot possibly be part of the Vindictiverse. It's just too literal, and that they should stick to the main story. But Boymore fights her directly and claims his story is better than her stupid movie. Mariner storms out claiming that his movie is terrible and heads to her evaluation with Ransom. In his, os- in his office, Ransom does ask, Boy- how- ask Mariner how Boymore is doing, but Mariner is confused. So he explains that his transporter clone died that morning, and Mariner feels terrible, finally understanding why he's been acting so strangely. Meanwhile, Tenny's team goes through another time fold into the 20th century on Earth. While the Federation doesn't exist yet, they realize that the place that they've landed is right outside an aquarium that holds Koros, the, the octopus ambassador's ancient ancestor and that the Romans intend to wipe out his family they are held up by some punks wanting to rob them but shacks and the gang defeat them and they head into the aquarium rutherford annoys tending by stealing the punks clothes to try and blend in and to have some fun when mariner joins the hall program again she's on a space freighter and the two the two of the faith acolytes of Katiha capture her throwing her in the brig with boymore apparently the tattoo map was a bust and once he couldn't find the moon the followers lost faith in him and threw him in jail boimler is clearly angry with himself and mariner asks why he didn't tell her about william's death boimler explains that he was hoping to make this movie matter because then he would matter and if he wouldn't live his life for no reason the same way his clone died for no reason mariner tells him that she found meaning in an unscripted movie and while his clearly is not as good as hers it's starfleet movie so they're going to finish the plot and help him with some finding some meaning whether he likes it or not. As they're trying to figure out a way out of the brig, Nick knack busts out uh, and proclaims his love for Boymore, And we get a romantic subplot again. They go to the bridge, and Boymore starts a speech about finding deeper meaning, but ends up doing the Kirk thing and beating the shit out of the aliens, uh, especially the guy with the skin map. And Nick also assists here as he becomes a large multi-legged fighting machine. Boymore then realizes that the skin map to Kitiha is correct if he joins the right skin folds together, and makes everything line up weird gross but okay let's go with it back with Tendi's crew we find them uh, at the founding of the Federation and Rutherford is trying to deactivate a bomb set by the Romulans to destroy them Rutherford is singing a song that's stuck in his head and Tendi is furious that he isn't taking this more seriously a Romulan that they thought they had killed finds a disruptor firing at Tendi and Rutherford but instead hits Ta'ana who saves them both uh, she jumps in front dramatically As she vaporizes, Rutherford makes a joke, and Tendi starts crying and blows up at him. He points out that it's a movie, and they're just supposed to be having fun. But Tendi reveals that she does want to be a captain someday, and she's taking this seriously because of that. Rutherford tells her she'd be a great captain someday, and that she doesn't need a movie to prove it. She goes back in time with her crew to the original fight between Romuans and the Cerritos. The Romuans steal the Karnagami again, but unbeknownst to them, Tendy, as Captain Vesper, explains that they've replaced the Kronogami with the Romulan's own bomb from the previous incursion, blowing up the ship and saving the day. Mariner and Boymore finally arrive at Kitiha, and the mountain opens with a purple glow and asks what answers Boimor seeks. Unfortunately, Kitihak can only spout inspirational quotes as it's a hologram and not the actual almighty. Boimor is furious and goes absolutely crazy, going into the mountain, tearing into the rock itself, and discovering a plaque that reveals that Kitiha stood for Kitihak. And he goes into a rage and suddenly wakes up on a beautiful farm, wandering into the stables where he greets who he thinks is gonna be Kirk, but is actually Captain Sulu. Boymore asks if this is heaven, but Sulu just tells him to feed the horse. Sulu explains that if he spends all his life worrying about a meaningless death, he won't see the small joys in life. Finally, while Boimor begins asking rapid fire questions, Sulu tells him the horse is about to bite him. And then it does. And then he wakes up with a hyperspirate in his neck and bay, apparently having passed out from dehydration. Before the crew can reminisce, T'Ana shoes them away from the sickbay so she can help Stevens after he leaned against the warp core for the second time that day. Right after that, Boimler mentions how much he hates cliffhangers, and we shift to a ship in a redacted system. It's a Defiant class, and on it, uh, William is awoken by a hypo spray. He's given a Section 31 badge, and he officially joins the organization. And there's our episode.
2: Now, tell me again, which Boimler is the original the one that was on the titan or the one that's on the cerritos it's debated but we argued that it's the one that's on the cerritos is the original okay all right makes a little
1: more sense to me there so
2: um oh yeah yeah
1: just unlike last week's episode this week's episode (laughs) had a reference in every scene almost every line was some kind of a hint getaway uh my favorite reference of all i found it to be quite subtle but uh uh an absolute um hilarious expansion of the star trek trope is instead of getting the Romulan twins with the boob window, we got the on thing twins. on twins with the boob yeah. window. We have okay. the Romulan triplets with the boob window. <laughs> ah.
0: I thought they were pretty funny, the way that they finish each other's sentences. We didn't really see that with the Duros as much, but the Melpinar triplets definitely like would start a sentence and the other one would finish it kind of thing, yep. which I thought was pretty cool.
1: Yep.
2: Um, I'm... Oh, sorry, Dak. No,
1: just... You off, yeah, I, I, I... I took your turn, sir. Please go ahead. I
2: find it very interesting to play out a hollow novel. Well, not really a hollow novel, but a hollow movie. I think that that's I like seeing those. I mean, just imagine writing and acting in your own movie, your own holodeck movie. So,
0: yeah, I mean, there are so many things you can do with that. What I like most about holodeck that idea though is that when we look at like a lot of the live action shows they're replaying Mm -hmm. classic books classic uh tv shows in the case of tom paris right but they're very rarely doing like original content that they have created there's much less of that like the doctor writes his own stories but Mm -hmm. most of the characters are just like oh here's this Jane Jane Eyre or type books right or or let's go through murder on the Orient Express kind of thing right or something here they've got their own story that they have created and they are gonna act through which I think is much more cool it's a
2: lot better than just rehashing or redoing something that is that is old you know I would like to do a holodeck uh, version of Clue that would be a lot of fun to be in you guys know Clue
0: right
1: yeah. Did you see uh, Boimler's Easter egg? Because I'm assuming it's a Boimler's Easter egg and not an actual uh, gaff in uh, in the show.
2: No, I Which don't one? Think so.
1: Um, on the Wayfarer. The Wayfarer is what class? It's a Sovereign. It's a Sovereign class, right? What's its mm-hmm. master systems display say it is?
0: Oh, it says that it's a Titan. Yeah, yeah. I
1: saw that too. So I I I was just like my brain was like oh they made a mistake and then i'm like no 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 boimler put an easter egg in his own movie
0: we've seen other movies where like the msd in the back of the like bridge shows the wrong ship it happens not uncommon true
1: but in this case like i agree it's an easter egg the meta deepness there that like the writers wrote that boimler wrote an easter egg into his own movie um I like that a lot. That was very happy-making for me.
0: Yeah, no, that tracks for me, too. That was a good one. I actually think that the names that he came up with his characters, though, is the most ridiculous part. Bucephalus Dagger, Commander Doodle. Come on. That was kind of ridiculous. Okay,
1: so... Did anybody look up Bucephalus Dagger? No. Okay, so Bucephalus was the name of Alexander the Great's horse. Horse, yeah. And... And... Mm -hmm. And... A lot of people are, not a lot of people, a lot of people are saying, no, okay, so one guy on Reddit with a whole bunch of likes is like, did Boimler just name his captain Captain Horsecock? No. (laughs) Yeah. Eucephalus, Dagger, Dagger and Chalice, Chalice and Blade. I was just like, wow, Captain Horsecock. And then the rest of the comments are, that would explain why all those girls are fawning over him at the vineyard. And he's just throwing shade at all like, of the women that are trying to flirt with them. Wow, they like just on the nose. Um the the motion picture text and font of Crisis Point Two Paradoxus. Um, the fusion of this Paradoxus with Star Trek's two, four, five, and um
0: I don't I think know see maybe
1: it. some eight. Ten. Ten. And and some Enterprise, and some of the gap of things that happened in the 2340s that no one knows about.
2: Oh, the Lost Era.
1: Because we had Star Trek One, motion picture, with the font, and then the surprise twist at the end that an ancient Earth machine was the source of, you know, the... The road that
0: part wasn't part of the story that he wrote though that's just what the the computer made up as it went though sure Kitty sure
1: but it, it, it for Boimler sure but from from a our level perspective that's a writer's nod to Star Trek 1 in a joking kind of way. Star Trek 2 we get the the Genesis lab like you said with the different Carol Marcus-ish character the same level of graphics that we might have gotten from from the Genesis experiment. Um, Star Trek 4, well, punk with a boombox in the 1980s, uh, Sydney, Australia. Uh, and Star Trek 10, my own personal, I mean, not my own personal, but just the only reference I could get to Star Trek 10 was the micro Thaleron device that they used.
0: I mean, it also has a Val d'or, which we only ever saw in Nemesis. That is true as well.
2: Yes. Is it just me, or did those those punk guys remind me of the ones that were in Terminator?
1: uh the, the shoulder big. vest the shoulder vest definitely was Bill Paxton's character. Spiky blue yeah, hair. When I, yeah. Right. When I so, saw <laughs> it that was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> so and I've then, got another
0: one for you Dag though.
1: You've got another guy with like the pink the pink hair, so very much pink mohawkish. <laughs> tell me, tell me. I'm I'm waiting. So,
0: in Star Trek V, under oh, the original yeah, ideas yeah, that yeah, Kurt, yeah. that Shatner had come up with, the giant rock monster he's supposed to battle to, before he gets to God, that's the design that they use for the Kit he like, purple rock thing with the open yeah. hand that you stand in and everything.
1: Yeah, that you whole concept know. of zealots taking over the ship and breaking out of prison and... Oh, um, you know oh, flying and to God. generations
0: because of the the farm like oh, they took a lot of movie content for yeah, this yeah
1: that's very true and i like that 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 sulu recognizes like oh no he's probably just up on some time travel shenanigans cuz he was cuz Kirk left and disappeared from you know 93 to 71 is that how long he was gone was it 22 uh, i think so it's fine
2: uh, About 2370.
1: It was 78 years. So (laughs) close,
2: yeah. So uh, speaking of Final (sighs) Frontier, just want to throw out this little tiny factoid. Uh, Do you guys know the -the behind-the-scenes reason as to the debacle that it was of William Shatner directing a Star Trek movie? The -the
1: behind-the-scenes reason that was the debacle? I'm, I'm seething, tell me.
2: So the way that the contracts were written by the agents, by uh, Shatner's agent is basically anything that Leonard Nimoy got got to do, he gets as well so the reason that we had Star Trek V and directed by William Shatner is because Leonard Nimoy got to direct the movie, so really it was just a matter of well he gets to do it, so I get to do it as well, because that that's in the contract um, and really essentially that was why. That was like the reason why.
0: And I don't think anybody's going to argue that four is a better movie than five.
1: So,
2: absolutely, you tell
0: that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I there was a guy on the bridge of the Wayfarer that had like unkempt hair and a five o'clock shadow, and I keep feeling like that was the helm officer on the Defiant in Star Trek Eight, played by Adam Scott.
2: Oh, uh, I have to go back. And I didn't catch that and look at that, but
1: i'm just trying to make yes. connections to the rest of the star trek films like uh when they stretched that dude's skin to put the words together i was like oh insurrection okay
0: yeah uh-huh. very soda oh, that's right. yeah.
1: <laughs> so maybe we did get references to all of the films well he
0: is rather unkempt and has a, a little bit of a beard that's weird the only reference i don't
2: think i saw was made was undiscovered country didn't see Mm. Or don't recall anything out of that one. Seems to be the only one that didn't.
0: The Lost Era uniforms. Maybe that's just an overlap. I guess.
2: Hmm.
1: So mm. the Lost Era uniforms, interestingly, Boimler made another mistake. These ones have collars, and they didn't have collars in the twenty-three forties. Correct. But a Star Trek Four reference. They have to go to an aquarium to save the future.
2: Yeah save the humpback whales
1: save the 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 ambassador coros yeah Yeah. apparently octopi are uh intelligent in the future
0: so i have two attention to detail things that i thought were really really cool in this episode just the same way they did in crisis point the first one the scenes on the holodeck are letterboxed which is (laughs) phenomenal yep love that and then when they leave the holodeck they have to step out of the letterboxing and outside in the hallway it's normal again yeah really cool detail when mariner leaves though we also see uh, Boymore do it too when he's going off to meet with ransom as well so excellent attention to detail there uh and the other one that i wanted to point out with is when they're in the holodeck there are sometimes some artifacts inside of the film so there's like film grain and like little burn marks at the top of the thing too it gets a lot worse when they're using the chronogami, because if you look at the way they had to do old special effects for these things, uh, they had to layer uh, film on top of each other, which magnifies how many of those artifacts happen. So whenever the chronogami is going on, you see tons more of those little artifacts, those cigarette burns and everything else. It's really cool detail. Holy shit, I completely missed that.
2: How did I miss that?
1: Yeah, I'm seeing a bit of that. That's that's like a testament to old school old school uh, you know special effects editing that's that's really clever and smart of them
0: yeah clearly they did it digitally right but I mean it's just it's very good catch on their part
1: yeah
2: was it me or did the sovereign class ship look a lot more high res and high detail than any of the other ships that we've seen maybe mm-hmm. it's just me it, it seemed like it came off as
0: it looked great. It just like had a bit of a purple glow to me, kind of thing. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. But yeah, Maybe it looked some. great.
0: It looked a lot. It looked at the same level of quality as the Parliament class, the uh, mm-hmm. the USS Vancouver from two seasons ago. Well, let's should we talk about the the whole Section Thirty One
2: thing that we're getting with uh, with the other Boimler?
1: Right after he or- says he doesn't like cliffhangers, we get a cliffhanger.
0: <laughs> I mean, he William makes a really good point about like if this is supposed to be a secret organization, why are we just advertising that we're members by putting on this black badge? It's a very good point that people have wondered about since discovery. But I guess like they have a reason. Maybe they track their agents with them or something. Uh, but it's kind of hmm, I, I don't know.
2: Maybe if you don't go out in public ever, or if you do, you don't wear your Badge because that seems to scream I am in some kind of different secret
0: organization. No, I straight up agree with you. It's it's very odd, but they pointed it out and then they mm-hmm. did it anyways, so they've gotta have some reason for it or some excuse for it for us.
1: Well, maybe maybe Mike McMahon is the guy with the hypos and he's like Stop fucking with the narrative, Boimler. <laughs>
2: I'm it was nice to see, to see a Defiant see... on screen again. Oh, God, yes.
1: Such a pretty ship.
2: I'm hoping we get more of that. It wasn't just a a quick scene
1: of it. It's real interesting. Uh, several years ago, before... Y'all know I was a part of Trek RP. Before Trek RP, there was a Star Trek online role-playing group. And I had been assigned to the USS Redguard which was a Section 31 Defiant Glass starship. And I don't know, was just like, when I saw this, I was like, aw, somebody's been mining our resources. <laughs> Why write your own show when you can just mine years of RP that's publicly accessible?
0: Hey, Dag, did you catch the name of the, uh, the planet that they had to go to?
1: Tatashi or Nine? Yeah. Yeah. That is a reference, definitely a reference to Fred Tatasciore, our our favorite uh, Shaq's voice actor, who has done plenty of other Star Trek voices in his, in his career.
2: Uh, now that reference, I definitely got. Yeah, definitely caught that one.
0: It's no just such a yet. unique name.
1: Oh, and then there, w- there was another one, Shatneri. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Shakhari.
1: Yeah yeah absolutely just way on the nose uh the they third, were trying to get third, sean connery for that part third mood of chatanari <laughs> I, like, yeah. I
0: think sean connery would have made a great cyborg
1: yeah uh, but well he, he was wasn't, too busy filming uh last crusade yeah mm-hmm. can't blame him for that choice it's okay <laughs> i i appreciate Lawrence lucanville's performance i think there's a lot more passion in his voice i think at the time Connery might have approached that less contemplative and more action hero. So we're going maybe,
2: to the center of the galaxy.
1: I'm going to defeat a god. You just sit down and wait, Shun. <laughs> Who what's your name? What's my name? I mean, I know what God needs with a name, but it's Bond, James Bond. <laughs> oh no Wrong
2: franchise Sean!
1: Cybond has lost his name again. Oh, What's
0: the worst oh, that could happen? We end up with a monologue <laughs> with Kirk arguing against like Cybok in that case. That sounds awesome to me.
1: I'm all for it. Uh it would have been a different universe without uh Sean Connery in uh Last Crusade, even though he was only twelve years older than Harrison Ford. <laughs> oh, yeah. Harrison oh. Ford who okay. by the way just today confirmed that he has been cast at to succeed uh, the role of General Ross Thunderbolt Ross in Captain America the New World Order for the Marvel Cinematic Universe
2: what happened to William Hurt
1: William Hurt passed away earlier this year
2: oh my god oh you're right that's right yeah totally blanked on that one okay Take some Harrison Ford. I don't know how we got into the Marvel Universe stuff, but
0: uh, that's what we're we on this from podcast. Beyond Marvel podcast. <laughs> Let's circle back around. All right. So, Doug, I got another one for you.
1: Okay. Ask
0: when the Hollow Program in the Hollow Program when the crew travels back to July fifteenth, nineteen eighty two. Why is that date important? July fifteenth,
1: nineteen eighty two is the premiere of Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, that was an easy
2: one.
1: Honestly, it didn't hit well, me... I didn't think me. that was that easy. It didn't hit me until you asked it, and then I was like, oh, yeah, duh. July 15th, 1982. <laughs> I was all of three months and two weeks old. Wow. <laughs> Jay's like, I was five. Because <laughs> he that was. I was
0: negative five.
2: You're right. I Actually, I was I was four going on five when that, uh, that movie <laughs> premiered. Didn't see it until <laughs> it was on... Uh, was on HBO. And the first time I saw it, it just I would watch it every time it was, it was on HBO. So that was the start of me becoming a Star Trek fan was was Wrath of Khan. So then uh, I had to go back and watch motion picture
0: and then the rest is history, all Star Trek after that. So I want to comment on the little space battle that we got at the beginning of the episode. So, the ship that the Melpinar Triplets have is not exactly a Valdor, it's got some modifications, it's got mm-hmm. a fin on the back, it's got some little antenna-y things above the, the bridge section, which mm-hmm. look pretty cool, I can't wait till they add them in the Star Trek Online, I'm here for it. Uh, but the battle itself was pretty sick, and I expect that the Cerritos will get its ass kicked by a Valdor. It makes oh, sense. Yeah. The Valdor is a frontline combat ship, and the Cerritos is a second contact cruiser. It's not a fair fight. Uh, having the Wayfarer show up, though I don't like the name for a ship, uh no, made perfect really. sense to me that it would kick the Valdor's ass and s- send it running. Well, yeah, it's a Sovereign class. You don't mess with those. No.
1: It's a pretty it Sovereign class, sc- too.
0: Yeah, it looked great. Uh, like I said, though, it had a weird purple glow, that scene. The Sovereign? Yeah, if you look at the screen caps so. for it, right, the Cerritos doesn't have that same glow, but the Wayfair definitely has a solid purple glow.
1: I I think that's just an aesthetic choice for the special effects of, of Paradoxus.
0: Maybe. I Don't complain about it. I I actually think that it would make more sense if like, more ships followed like the Cerritos does and has like a color line on it, um, something along those lines. I think that that's cool. It's just... It's just strange to me that if it was like a sun or something that's putting off purple light, that we would only see it on the one ship, not the others.
1: You point out something very interesting, and it touches on a point that you made earlier: how when they used the Chronogami, they had that layer of film grain to sort of call back to like the way special effects were done. Well remember, for Star Trek, they had to do multiple passes for the starships, and maybe one of the studio one of the people doing the passes had this purple light on and the other ships didn't oh. have that. In in, <laughs> yeah. in Boimler's Meta World, uh the, the Wayfarer gets away with a purple glow.
0: Yeah, no, that perfectly works. What'd you think of Tendi's line about like creating an alternate timeline where we're all younger versions of ourselves played by different people? I laughed. I thought it was great. I laughed, but I, I, I think
2: I'm I'm missing that one. Can someone explain it?
1: The the JJ Abrams Kelvin. movies. They were okay. another timeline played by younger versions of ourselves uh, that looked nothing like us.
2: Okay, so yeah. just like
0: the they're J. just shading the Kelvin universe
1: movies for sure.
0: Gotcha. Okay,
1: and we learn more about them in Discovery. Which I'm glad Discovery tied up a little bit of that. Like, bring bring the universe home for a little bit. Mm-hmm.
2: Alright, well, who would play <laughs> you guys in a younger version alternate universe?
1: Younger version of me in an alternate universe? Zach Efron with a beard. Who? Oh, Zach Efron
0: with a beard. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not great on actor names, particularly young ones. I just don't know. I mean, I'd say,
1: I'd say Ted from How I Met Your Mother, except he's like 15 years older than you, so never mind.
0: I've gotten that. You look like such and such a few times, so.
1: Yeah. I get the guy from uh, Tropic Thunder, the special effects guy from Tropic Thunder.
0: I also get the guy from It's Always Sunny, and I've never seen the show, so I don't actually know, but I've been told I look a lot like one of the two dudes from It's Always Sunny.
1: Danny DeVito. I can totally see it.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i do apologize i hope that was not too no you're good okay. but no i
0: still think that the whole like optical printer like layering effect that they did there is still so cool every time i come across it in the screenshots i'm like that's just badass the look of the chronogami is perfect for it yeah
2: i Origami, am... a play on origami
0: exactly yes they yeah. say as much
1: yeah because mm-hmm. it folds time. Folding
0: time Ooh. time Ooh.
1: I, uh, I'm really excited about this 2341 Great Algae Crisis. Like, wow, okay, something was happening on Earth. And, uh, I mean, it totally makes sense that, like, you is can't just... Uh, Starfleet Aquatic Research Center 2341, the Great Sulian Algae Crisis. Maybe it's not on Earth. Maybe this algae center is on another planet.
0: And to be fair, I don't even know if it's a real thing, right? It might have been, like, just something that Boimler made up for a story.
1: It could be, but Boimler Boimler really does draw a lot on the history here. So I'm going to say it's canon until it's not canon, and other people can say it's not canon until it's canon. Uh, But I need a book about the Great Algae Crisis, and I need to be told with the utmost sincerity and no humor, um, just to uh, contrast against this episode.
2: Well, there's so much of the, uh, like we said before, that lost era, uh, starting with, uh, let's see, Generations, which was, I believe took place in, uh, I saw it as 2293, which is about a a year after Undiscovered Country, but between that and 2364, when uh, Picard took command of the Enterprise-D, there's not a whole lot in there. We've we've had a couple things in there, especially the last days of the Stargazer, mm-hmm. uh, the um, the Romulan guy. That the, uh, what's that? The
1: Kittimer, uh, the Master. Oh yeah, Kittimer.
2: the Kettmer attack. Uh, losing the Enterprise C
0: at Naranger Three. Mm-hmm. The Tomet incident, which we yeah. know we've referenced a few times, the 23 signing 23 of the Al- the Tree of
1: Algoron. Also, twenty three eleven. one of the things that I like about the and algae crisis is that it shows us that like earth is always in danger there was no just moment (laughs) of like hey we've got Star Trek the original series with Kirk and then suddenly Kirk disappears and earth has a period of peace unbeknownst to it for hundreds of years until Jean-Luc Picard (laughs) takes control and suddenly we have parasites infecting us by the end of the year what gives we're cancelling the name Enterprise no more enterprises earth is going to be okay
2: yeah, we've got Borg, parasites, uh, all kinds of things. I mean, yeah, the main Enterprise should be worse retired. yet. We have Q. On oh, then Q, yeah,
1: yeah. No, no Enterprise. Uh, so the la- let's see, the last time bad things happened on Earth when there was no Enterprise was the Breen attack, and then that there were no- Enterprise. There were no more bad things that happened to Earth after the Breen attack. Chronological. Enterprise, Enterprise yeah. was two hundred years prior. Oh, I no, thought you were talking no. about the show. I thought you were talking about the show. No. All right. Well, it between on Enterprise. between movies, Earth experiences peace. <laughs> <laughs> Some okay. God, like if you have you ever read Redshirts by okay. John Scalzi. It's a book that does like meta humor about how the extras on Star Trek have to be smart enough to figure out that they're on a show because you can just sit there and look and be like, Captain, Captain, are you okay? Why is he just staring into the distance? And then you realize, oh, it's a climax going to commercial and the music is rising. So he's just staring boldly (laughs) and it just gets really meta into that. And I'm thinking, you know, there's got to be some statistician at Daystrom who's about to get locked up because he's like, wait. When the Enterprise does these things, shit hits the fan. But whenever the Enterprise isn't on a diligent mission, everything is okay. So just All don't send the Enterprise anywhere. So Voyager would... disappeared for seven years. Earth was fine.
2: <laughs> why wouldn't where name his uh, the Sovereign Class ship? Uh, and, and, well, they probably could not get these... If, Enterprise, maybe, maybe not for the show, but i just wonder why that name wasn't. Why wasn't mm, it the Enterprise?
1: That's actually a really good idea, a really good question. Why would what's what's important to Boimler about the concept of wayfaring?
2: I don't. Is it a see, I don't is it a bold
1: it. Boimler thing?
2: Uh, all I all I know is is that it was. I don't know. It was a missed opportunity. In universe and out.
0: Maybe he just wanted to have a ship that he could name, and it's not one that exists, so he just wanted to choose one. I mean, when I played Star Trek Online or something, I always name ships after some historical figure that I admire, but not necessarily one that's already existed in Trek before.
2: Yeah, it's sometimes I have hard, hard time coming up with good names for ships.
1: Maybe it was auto-generated. Yeah, wayfarer, also auto-generated. (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right, Dag, so here's another trivia one for you, right? As of this episode, we now have four sentient species that have evolved on Earth that
1: at least make it to be advanced. Can you name all four? Um, Does that include human? That is one of the four. Okay, so human, uh, beluga, octopus, and dog. No. The dog doesn't count. That was a genetic test by Tendi. No, I was going with uh, Porthos, but... Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, so we've got humans, and we've got one species of whale, and we've got a a cephalopod. And, I mean, I really, really, really want to go humpback whale. No, not going with that one, even though they're, Mm -hmm. they're totally sentient and did go to space for, like, two seconds. Nope. Not counting not uh, uh we could just
0: say whales is a category octopi is a category uh, humans is a category uh, well but that, the fourth one is still does not count in any of those that three that pulls us ones. into phylum
1: I guess ah oh, jeez another sentient okay I, I'm, 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 I don't know hadrosaurs because of the va oh god damn it <laughs> oh
0: as soon as you said it yeah it's <laughs> one of those like oh right they did come from earth they made a point of that in the episode distant origin
1: Wow. How did we miss Wow-y that? Wowie, wow. So I just want to double clarify. I looked up a picture of Bill Paxton, and uh, he absolutely has spiky blue hair in the scene where he holds a knife to uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And in this yeah. movie, spiky blue hair with the, the cutoff shoulder thing, and he's holding a knife. <laughs> this is so funny that they did.
2: i knew it so not only did they pull from uh, other star trek movies but other franchises so we got a little bit from the terminator you know what would have been
1: do you know what would have been really really interesting is if they had also included um Brian Thompson's character from that scene who one was Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh stunt double in Terminator and two has done multiple Star Trek appearances as a Klingon in Generations and a member of the Dozi in Deep Space 9 uh among others. So that would have been a cool callback.
2: Brian Thompson is who you get <clears throat> when you want Arnold Schwarzenegger but you don't have Arnold Schwarzenegger money.
1: That's okay. wish.com so. Wish.com, <laughs> I I really like Brian Thompson. He yes. he was a yes, brouhaha businessman in an old TV show called Kindred the Embraced based on uh White Wolf's Vampire the Masquerade role-playing game. That's that series only lasted like one one season maybe and was canceled. Uh Vampire
2: Holy shit! I've never heard of this one. When was this around? Nineteen
1: ninety-five. I've got the whole series on on DVD. I got I've it for never like. Even heard of this? one. I got it for like ninety-nine cents at a clearance bin at like Target or something. I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> you might like it. It's a it's a vampire themed political thriller with some romance in it.
2: Sounds promising. I'm looking I guess if I things head. to marathon so. It's a bad execution or something? I don't know. It's
1: like nine episodes or something. You know, the rock monster really got to me. Because I was like, man, they really tried hard to make that a thing in Star Trek 5. They wasted some budget on it. They built some giant props. And at the yep. end of the day, they're just like, we can't make this work. And you know why? Because they didn't have Kirk Thatcher on the scene. That's why.
0: Just Alternatively, <laughs> it also inspired Galaxy Quest, one of the best Star Trek movies around. And they also had a giant yep. rock monster.
1: knack Gridnack. knack.
2: If you really dig, and maybe, I I think I recall seeing this, Uh, I I don't think it was the Sinbad and Shazam uh, thing, but I thought I saw some footage of the rock monsters from Star Trek V. Some test footage or or something like that. You can find it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and boy, was it... Yeah, it was... It was not good. I I mean, why? Rock monsters? I don't know. I just, I I don't know.
1: Another thing...
0: going back to our Bucephalus-Daggered conversation from before, (laughs)
1: do
0: you think the fact that he has a conversation with Sulu about being a sword guy is also some innuendo, then?
2: Yes. Uh, Mirror Mirror, of course, uh, Sulu was shin with his um i don't know what you call it in in yeah right Uh, so so that was a big thing and also got that in the the kelvin timeline with that sulu as well uh had the
0: collapsible like katana or whatever that thing was cool yeah that was. was cool so yeah
2: i i like that reference as well it's a shame that we didn't get more sulu and sword fighting in the original series but Dude. now i this is a stupid question totally stupid question but i had, i missed the credits on this one don't know why but that was george takai doing the voice of sulu okay i, I thought there's no way they would do uh, have an appearance of the character without him
1: no way but, yeah do you think they were throwing shade in that episode when he came in looking for Captain Kirk and they were like, No, Captain Sulu, and he's like, even better. So
0: I think that this actually closes a plot hole.
1: Really? So
0: remember in generations when Kirk's like, Oh, I saw I thought I sold this place years ago. He sold it to Sulu. Now we know who he sold it to.
1: Okay, Diddy so now. so now let's Aww. let's let's dissect that a little bit. Let's remember that um, Alexandra, from his perspective, was fifteen years before ge- his his time frame and generations. So we're talking twenty three ninety three. This takes us back to twenty three seventy eight. He says he sold it years ago, so sometime between twenty three seventy eight and at least like twenty three ninety three years. Give it a little bit of there. He sold it to somebody. I like the I like the idea that he sold it to Sulu. If this isn't some weird fantasy dream sequence,
2: but the the thing that I didn't quite like about that line, and it's certainly possible that the writers were just throwing in numbers, not really paying attention to it. But by that math, this was uh, between motion picture and Wrath of Khan, which granted. There's about um, in timeline. There's about twelve years in between the events of Motion Picture and the events of Wrath of Khan. So there's there's definitely some space, some space in there to be able to do that.
1: But yeah,
2: I, I don't know. I, I guess I could I could see
1: there's room for a gap where Kirk left Starfleet after some time after TMP and settled down on earth for a little bit and then went back to starfleet
2: well if you go if you go by the books it was um there's another five-year mission after the events of the motion picture and then enterprise got thrown in as a well maybe there were two five-year missions i, I don't recall mm-hmm. uh definitely at least one and then the enterprise got put in as a training the training ship training duty so yeah i'm sure there was definitely a time in there the space where uh, what he's talking about was in between those two movies
0: so I think it kind of fits right like we kind of wondered why he would have sold something he was so like treasured to him and who he would have sold it to well Mm -hmm. now we know he sold it to his good friend and he sold it to Sulu and that's why it was more okay to get rid of the place rather than just keep owning it in the middle of nowhere
1: this this solves another loophole Perhaps he's the last time he sold it long enough for it to be the last time he saw Demora Sulu when she was a child. Yeah. Sulu would have been there to take the keys. But it also brings into fact that there's money and private property exchanges in Star Trek. (laughs) So maybe metaphorical, right? We still hear things being
0: called blueprints today and we hear things called blueprints in Star Trek, but they haven't been blue since like the
1: 1920s and 30s. Are you sure about that? Because I got the blueprints to the Enterprise, and they're definitely blue.
0: Yeah, printing things in blue does not mean that they're actual blueprints, though. Like, look up bl- like blueprints for a modern day building. They're not mm-hmm. actually blue anymore. The reason that they were blue is because the printers that they used specifically used a kind of ink that would uh, paint the page in blue and then leave exceptions as the lines that were in white, and then print in black on top of that. Right? That's how they worked. It's just just the way it did it. But we still call them blueprints, even though they're just not blue anymore. For the love of God, Renzo. How do you know this? Why I got into do you an, know this? I got into an argument about this like five or six years ago, and this is this part of the part that stuck with me about the argument. Gee, the stuff
2: that you know, it's, we, it's like just we insane. All, we Renaissance, all man.
1: have had our anal retentive hills to die on, and one of them That's for true. Renzo was blueprints. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, <laughs> blueprints,
2: this is where I'm dying. <laughs> there are wanna, many hills, this okay. one is
1: mine. We can write a book call it One Prince, Two Prince, Dead Prince, Blue Prince. <laughs> um Okay, so uh speculation. Just just entertain me. If the series is leaning towards the evil section thirty one that we get from Boimler's Evil Laugh, um is there a way to tie that in with the agamas and peanut hamper union
2: no 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 please no Uh -uh. uh-uh no just entertain me stop
1: watching i'll
0: stop watching star trek
1: find a way to make it make sense
0: maybe so we know that the control concept was something that section 31 had had before right Mm -hmm. they used it to like predict outcomes and plan things out etc right Maybe at this point, they're like, you know what? It's been long enough that we haven't had something like control, let's try something like that again. Maybe we can control it this time, we're smarter now. We can keep, tr- keep up with it. So they pick up Agamas, Agamus goes, I want peanut hamper two. and then badgie tags along. And now suddenly the three of them have taken over section 31.
1: My, my, my thinking is along the same lines, uh, I want to just kind of add on to that, that like Section 31's gaff was only having a single artificial intelligence that became a monolith. If you spread that statistical prediction power across multiple artificial intelligences, each with their own agendas, they cannot become monolithic. That's just my idea, and it, it, feels, it feels goofy enough to be a, a lowered X-plot.
0: Yeah, I'd be down.
2: If I see peanut hamper again, I swear, I will drown myself in a toilet.
1: <laughs> oh man, cosplay man, idea! A big
2: toilet cosplay idea. Just I'll find a way.
1: Dress up as dress up as Mister Peanut, and carry a laundry hamper around to a Star Trek convention.
2: Boo! Peanut hamper.
0: <laughs> Statistically I perfect. wonder
2: who, how many how many people do you think would get that? Do you think that that would be
1: Um, At the Star Trek conventions I'm planning on going to, 100% of them would get it. Uh, They would literally be like, what are you doing as a peanut with a hamper? Oh, that would be (laughs) like 90% of the conversations. The other 10% would be like, I was staring at you from across the room trying to figure out if you even knew what convention you were at. And then it dawned on me and I just need to let you know. Great job. I'm not telling anybody. <laughs> that that would be the two conversations that I would have with the Mister Peanut Hamper uh, cosplay.
2: I want pictures of that if that <laughs> happens.
1: Uh, um, yeah, the Romulans. I wish I could talk more about them. Besides the fact that they were our uh, our Duras sister uh, equivalent here. They were cool. Oh, uh, yeah, the tweaks, you made a good point about the tweaks to the uh, the Romulan ship. Um, I was like, why does it look so different? But I was like, oh, right, it's a movie, and Boiler is probably responsible for all of those little changes. Well, but also the dicta
0: ship, right? It was like a bird of prey with parts attached from like a Katinga, right? So it, it was right. like a modified ship. This is too. Like, yeah. This is mostly a Valdor, but it's got a couple things that stick out here and there.
1: Yeah.
2: Why uh, do you think... Of- it looked different for his holodeck movie. To make it look cooler.
1: Yeah, I mean, Star Trek has a tendency to like attach things to hero ships in subsequent Appearances when it's not like necessary for the for the plot.
0: How many times have we seen a Tamerian cruisers model reused to some other aliens or the Akrisian races oh, cruiser used to something else? Like 11 something. million times. Yeah, it, they just keep doing yeah. it, which is fine. Or, I don't care.
1: And kit but, bashing, yeah. kit bashing yeah, also. Kit
0: bashing. Yep.
2: I, I thought maybe it was because uh, information on Romulan ships or even what they look like is kind of hard to come by. In the in the Federation, because yeah, even though at, at this time of Lower Decks that this is after the Dominion War and the Romulans got it's a fake right into the right mm-hmm, into the war. Mm-hmm. I'm sure as soon as it was over, the Romulans went right back to their uh, secret stuff and isolationism. And yeah, it's probably one of those things where it was we. Uh, the word knows some stuff about the look of the ship and just filled in some gaps to make it look cool
1: I wouldn't yeah, honestly, be surprised
0: that that would work too right like okay so in the real world right if you look hard enough you can find pictures of still brand new military vessels out of Russia you can find them for pictures of Chinese ships they're just not the best pictures like you'll find like mm-hmm. a satellite picture and you can be like Oh look, I get its basic idea. Maybe that's what Boymore used equivalence to to make this Valdor. So he's like, "Well, there's a bump there. Maybe that's a fin, and so he draws in a fin when he programs yeah. it in the computer." Right? I don't know. Either way, it works out yeah. just fine. Whether it's a mistake or whether it's like an intentional choice to make it look more badass, it is recognizably a Valdor. So
2: yes, yeah, I I get it on that. Mm-hmm. Any guys got any final thoughts on this one?
1: I really appreciated this one for the frenetic pace the movie had. Um, the The A plot turned into the B plot because obviously we're supposed to follow Boimler. Um, but the B, the
0: B plot still had some great characters. I though.
1: I liked the B plot a lot just to get like the views of who's to do and what. <laughs> you know, we don't have a scene. All of the characters here, except for Tendi Rutherford, Mariner, and Boiler, are holographic. So even the Freeman, the Shacks, the you know they're they're holographic for the purpose of this show. And uh, I just I really appreciated a lot of the eye candy, the boombox that was obviously uh, a reference to the Star Trek IV boombox man, uh, Punk on the bus, um, the, the even the little the nod to frickin' Bill Paxton and. Just all of all of the subtle hints, not even subtle, the ones that were, like, right up in your face slapping you around, going, look, this a Star Trek board Just deal with it. Um, I just really appreciated that. Not only did they throw all that stuff in, but it was part of the plot. It wasn't just, like, there to be there.
0: So my, my final thoughts, just want to, like, say that I really appreciate the kinds of character development that we saw for Tendy and for Boymore in this episode. So, we finally get this admission from Tendy that she is looking to move up the ranks. She does want to be a captain. She does want to lead people. And her friends are going to support her on it. But we also see this character development on Boymore's part of like understanding that, you know what, uh, mortality is, is a thing. And sometimes you just need to live while you can. And that's a progress for him because he's been kind of living like a nervous but carefree life. So, maybe this will put him on a smarter trajectory Mariner shows um, that she cares which is nice and Rutherford is supportive so it's it's good for all the characters I I like
2: the the way that this these, these four spend their time together really shows the uh, camaraderie that they have with one another <laughs> it seems like they're always spending their time together even if it's free time and with doing this, this hollow movie, it's like, what, what better way to spend time with your friends, with this, this tight group that you do everything with. And I hope we see more of that. I like, I like the the parts where we get to see them work as a group. Now uh, season one certainly had their episodes where they would, um, they would have like their, their, their team ups, they would take two of them as an A plot, two of them as a B plot, kind of shuffle that around a little bit. But I like seeing the four of them together and not just growing that character development, but the group development, which to me, I think is just as important. That's it. That's all I've got.
0: Well, I think we all agree that it was a very solid episode, so... Yeah.
1: Can't wait to see what happens next. Only two more episodes remain of Star Trek Lower Decks, and after that, we're into the unknown. We've had almost a solid year of star trek since the last season of lower decks was on it was followed up immediately by star trek discovery which was followed up immediately by star trek picard which was followed up immediately by star trek strange new worlds (gasps) okay (laughs) um and so uh any anybody get any tips on when the next season of anything comes out we know that star trek discovery season five star trek picard season three prodigy i think we get prodigy next Prodigy uh, yeah, Season Prodigy. 1, Part 2, as I understand it. It's not yes. Season 2, Season 1, Part 2. We only got, what, 10 episodes? We got 5 in, and then we got to split it, and then we got 5 more, and then... So, uh, yeah, uh, stay tuned, keep your ears out for news on uh, Prodigy and all the new stuff. Um, no news yet on the the 4th ish kelvin movie which is constantly in the news for on-again off-again relationships um i really would yeah, that's
2: in the news it's been cut from right they took it they
1: took it off their release schedule yeah because they they were supposed to release it december of next year there's no way that they could write a script shoot it edit it special effect it, publish it all the good stuff it can't happen in in 14 months they just it's too too not cool man especially for you know now that movies are only in theaters for like six weeks before they're kicked out remember when Jurassic Park was in theaters it was in theaters for like 16 months it was like a year and a half of Jurassic Park (laughs) awesomeness back in 1993 okay I actually remember seeing that as a kid
0: you were three no you were five 93 I was five or six but I remember seeing that with my dad
1: okay that works that's cool well, gentlemen, thanks for being here with me this evening. Audience, thanks for spending your time with us. And uh, we're just going to go right into it. And for always going boldly with Beyond Trek Podcast. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our Patreon and Anchor supporters, to Tam and Nora Hickson. Thank you so much for being a part of Beyond Trek Podcast. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious trip content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.